Welcome to NDTR Spotlight, a show where we highlight former and current NDTRs. And NDTR, if you don't know, stands for Nutritionist Diet Technician Registered. They also go by the credential DTR, which stands for Diet Technician Registered. In order to become an NDTR, you have to graduate from an accredited program, take an exam, and participate in continual education. Welcome to NDTR Spotlight. I'm your host, Marie Lorraine. Today's guest I'm super excited about. We've connected on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and she's finally here today to talk to us. And she is our first DTR who's currently working in clinical nutrition. So we're going to talk about that, pick her brain about clinical nutrition. She also has a really interesting um, interest in substance abuse and wounds that we're going to talk about. And she, she's doing everything. She has a side hustle where she has her own coaching business called Theta Carotene, where she specializes in women's health. So she has an associate's degree and bachelor's. She has her associate's of science in nutrition and dietetics. And so this is an interview to watch if you're interested in clinical nutrition um, or doing your own coaching business or even wounds or substance abuse. This one, we're just <laughs> brain so much information here so two things for you to do hit that subscribe button if you're watching on youtube or if you're listening to a podcast um subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any any interviews and go follow beta carotene online she's on instagram because you don't you want to keep up to date with what she's doing so sammy thank you so much for being here thank you for having me marie yeah it's so good that you're here i know you've been going through a lot so i really appreciate your time today Hey, this is, uh, you know, keeping my mind off things. So thank you for having me. <laughs> so this, the normal question we like to ask, what made you get into um, or become a diet technician? All right. So I was a hairdresser from the second that I graduated high school. Um, I really didn't like one of my bosses that I was working with. And I decided that I needed um, a lifestyle change. I wanted a career change. Um, so I actually, I quit smoking. Um, I started eating healthier. Um, and I decided that I had no idea what I was doing and I wanted to, um, learn a little bit more about nutrition. I remember somebody was like, oh, you should, uh, track your macros and stuff like that. And I'm like, I have no idea what a macro is. So, um, yeah, I decided to go back to school, um, and learn more about nutrition. And I found the uh, nutrition and dietetics um, like career path, never knew what a diet tech was, um, but it seemed like the perfect you know, path that I wanted to go towards. And um, I've been doing it ever since. I still hold my, my hairdressing license for you know, the cheap hair stuff, but um, I'm no longer doing hair. <laughs> Wow, that's a fun transition from hair to food. And it sounds like you have these really cool, so more of, it was a, a personal issue. Was it a personal issue that made you want to look into nutrition or something else? Um, I would say personal. It was, you know, a mixture of the lifestyle change um, as well as I didn't like my boss. Um, she really just um, made me hate working in a salon. And so I decided to pursue you know, something new, my new passion, which was, you know, you know, living a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, well, good. That, that boss was great because she got you to do something else. So thank you to her. In that yes, way. I thank her in that way. But like I said, she was a horrible boss. 
Oh, I'm sorry you had that experience. So what was, what was the process from going from hairdressing to this completely different field, like the schooling and the, the studies? What for you? This, well, one of the most similar things is a lots of science. So even as a hairdresser, you have to know anatomy and physiology. So I feel like I've taken so many anatomy and physiology classes that I could be a doctor with the amount of anatomy that I've had. I think I've taken like six different anatomy courses. Um, but while I was hairdressing, I was working full time and I was going to school full time. And then I also took a nutrition aid position it at the hospital that I work at now to get my foot into the door so I was working two full-time jobs and going to school full-time I don't know how I did it um <laughs> but I did it <laughs> that's were you also married with kids at the time or no no so I was with my significant other at that time but we did not have kids uh there's no way that I could I've done all of that as being a mother as well. Oh, <laughs> that's a lot because the classes themselves are just very complicated. And then, but I love that you were progressive in getting your foot in the door in that clinical setting. So what was the process of working as a nutrition aide and then how did you advance to where you're working now in the clinical setting? So the nutrition aid, you know, meal selecting with the patients, dropping off the meals um, to the patients, um, I also did like expediting in food service, um, making sure, you know, that the trays were adequate, adequate, um, as well as making sure that they're getting their supplements on their trays. Um, then from there, I tried to get a diet tech position at the same job, but whoever was the director of nutrition there, they wouldn't hire me because I, um, only had my associate's degree they were the under under the assumption that you had to have a bachelor's degree to be a diet tech so they wouldn't hire me so I was very very distraught by that but I did take a diet tech position um, before I graduated um, in corrections and I worked there for two years um, because I had you know the experience I was able to go back to that hospital that I work at now. Um, so I kind of went into like a, a giant circle. Yeah. Wow. I love that you didn't like let that stop you. Like you can say, oh, I have to go get a bachelor's. You knew that once you had this enough, you found another opportunity. And then you ended up back in the hospital that originally was like, you need a bachelor's degree. Yeah. I was like, boom. <laughs> That's cool. So what, what does a diet technician do in corrections? Oh my gosh. I loved that job so much, but um, I couldn't travel anymore because of my child. But I had three institutions and I would drive all the, over the state of Ohio where I live. Um, and basically I would schedule multiple um, inmates to see that day, providing um, nutrition education, mainly for like, um, diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol. Then sometimes I would deal with malnourished inmates who had BMIs of like 17 because of substance abuse. Um, and 
and sometimes I had to deal with some wound patients as well. Um, so one of the institutions was a hospital setting and then two of them were just regular institutions. So I experienced my clinical setting experience while I was in corrections. So that's why I got hired on at my current job because I had that experience. You had that experience working there and then they're able to hire you on because there was clinical aspects in corrections, is that correct? Yes. Okay. So you, you kind of pointed to the types of patients you saw there, you saw the wounds, you saw malnutrition. What else was that, was that patient population you know, at risk for, or, or what would you see in that population? Um, I would, like I said, a lot of diabetes, um, a lot of hypertension, um, because most of them are eating off of commissary, which is going to be high in sodium. Um, and a lot of them just didn't care about their, their health at that point. If, you know, if they were going to be spending a lot of time in prison, um, you know, they kind of were just like in one ear and out the other, didn't really want to listen to what I had to say. Um, but if they did have a short sentence, um, you know, they were more, you know, perceptive to what I had to say. Okay, that is so fascinating. So when you're talking about interventions for this population, because they're limited, because they're, they're not a stuff in prison. How were you able to navigate that and motivate these people? I know you said if they're, they're longer, it's harder, but how, how did you handle those hurdles? Um, yeah, to get creative, um, I learned a lot about the commissary that they were buying. Um, I would have the inmates bring me like nutrition labels from their commissary and then I would scan them and, you know, I would educate them on the nutrition label of what they're eating. A lot of like summer sausages, um, ramen, obviously is a really big one. Mm -hmm. um, so I taught them, you know, about the carbs and the sodium in those um, products and how much they should eat during the day to help them. Um, you just kind of had to cater to their needs because a lot of them weren't going to eat the food that was provided um, which is understandable because, you know, it's not that great. I actually had to taste test the food. It's not that great. Um, <laughs> but is it, how, is it like a school lunch or is it, what, what is it like? I would definitely say that it's like a school lunch, but the inmates are cooking it. So if they don't like you, they could, you know, potentially do something to the food. So, um, yes. They're the ones cooking and serving the food. Um, there's just people that kind of supervise to make sure that, you know, they're doing what they need to be doing. Um, but most of the food, like chicken patties and stuff like that, is identical to what you would get from a school lunch. And you mentioned commissary. For our listeners, can you explain what that is? So the commissary is, um, you know, a store for the inmates so that they can go and buy like personal items like underwear, soap, toothpaste. Um, and then they can also get food. Um, they get money from, they do have jobs while they're in prison. Um, they get some sort certain money from that or their family can put money on their books um, to get food. They can also have their family order them boxes, which, you know, 
it's all a bunch of junk food. So you have to learn how to um, work around what they're eating because they're they're not going to be able to go out and get a bunch of like fresh fruits and fresh vegetables. Um, you know, you have to learn how to educate them from what they have. Yeah, that sounds like a very challenging job. So props for being able to do that and, you know, help that population that we really don't hear a lot about nutritionists going in there and, and you know, serving that population. So thank you for doing that, for one. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely um, an enjoyable job. Um, I would have never left that job if it wasn't for the traveling aspect. Yeah. So you said in this job, you started seeing some substance abuse, and that's something that you're, you're passionate about. And even in your current job, I think you mentioned that you worked on an opioid um, nutrition education handout, if I'm not mistaken. So can you talk a little bit about substance abuse and this connection with nutrition or how you're handling that as a dietitian? Yeah. So what I did was I helped develop um, nutrition education for opioid abuse. Um, and basically I would educate like a group of patients that were in um, like detox at this time. Um, they're going through intensive outpatient um, programs where, you know, they're learning all kinds of things about withdrawing, detoxing, um, and, you know, trying to pursue life without drugs. Um, and one of those things is nutrition. Um, so I became passionate about this because, um, my brother became a, um, he was addicted to, um, heroin at some point and he's clean. He's doing great. He's, um, you know, working, doing good. Um, so when I got this job, I took over, um, this, um, it's just like a substance abuse hospital. And I see these patients daily. Um, a lot of them have malnourishment because they're not eating, um, because they're, you know, drinking or they're taking their drugs and, um, they've experienced a lot of weight loss. So with that, I either, I usually do not use a supplement. Um, cause I did find out during my corrections, um, experience that a lot of times they take like insure boost, whatever you call it, um, wherever you are, um, they take it and they sell it on the streets. I know that that sounds extremely just crazy, but it is like currency in corrections. And it is also currency on the streets. Um, so a lot of them will take it and they won't use it um, because it is expensive. So I learned to educate um, with food, making sure that they're eating an adequate amount of protein, um, nutrient-dense fruits and vegetables, um, making sure that they're sleeping, that they're drinking plenty of water, you know, showing them the importance of all of, you know, the well-rounded things that we would teach our patients in general, um, but trying to teach them that maybe um, the people that they surround themselves with, um, you know, maybe they need to change who they surround themselves with. Um, are they going to be a, you know, 
what am I trying to say? Um, a great support system. Are they willing to help you through these changes? So not only are we dealing with the um, nutrition aspect, but also the mental, the physical, and the emotional aspect as well. Yeah, looking at that and the whole whole spectrum of things is super important because nutrition can just be like overlooked if other things aren't are matched. So I appreciate you mentioning that. But specifically to nutrition, so you mentioned malnutrition is like a big thing with this patient population. Are there other nutrition deficiencies or other um, areas of nutrition specifically that you're looking into for these patients? Like I know thiamine is very big with alcohol abuse. Um, so can you speak to that more specifically for nutrition? Yeah, so we definitely check thiamine uh, as well as their vitamin D levels, which here in Ohio, um, we're all deficient in vitamin D, unfortunately, um, as well as um, I make sure that they are on a multivitamin, a vitamin C, a vitamin D, and that thiamine. Um, we kind of do like that bundle deal. Um, we will draw labs to make sure that they are, if they are deficient, um, we do have, you know, a certain set protocol that we do follow. Um, I also typically um, give them either double portions or double protein, depending on the malnourishment. Um, if it is a serious weight loss, um, like I actually have documentation of the weight loss, it's not just, you know, um, what they're telling me. Um, then I will give them a supplement. Um, and I also check to see if they're able to get that supplement when they leave. Um, a lot of times I'm seeing these patients and they are homeless. They're not going to be able to get an insurance on the streets. You have to find out where they're getting their food from. Are they going to um, like um, a house to get their food, stuff like that, or a pantry, um, anything like that? kind of figure out, okay, where can I get you more food? Where can I get you the most protein? So kind of educating them on where they're going to get their protein from, where they're going to get their most nutrients from. Yeah, it sounds like the perfect combination of clinical and then community nutrition like coming together to really help these patients. Yeah. Specifically vitamin C, is there, what is the reasoning behind making sure vitamin C levels are appropriate in this patient population? That one, I really don't know. Um, I looked it up on um, the eat right dot or the eat right pro um, did all of like the nutrition care manual. And basically as I'm reading through, cause I had to do so much um, research on all of this. And a lot of it says that they could be deficient in vitamin C um, because of the alcohol um, intake. So um I'm just trusting the nutrition care manual on that one. <laughs> yeah, that makes it, I mean, the antioxidant effect of it too, but yeah. And if it's deficient, why deficient in that population population, that makes sense too. Right. It's just a common deficiency. And I'm like, okay, well, let's draw the labs. Let's see if they're deficient. If they're deficient, I want you to give them this much. But I also have like a little cheat sheet that tells me like, the recommended amounts. That is really cool. So do you have, do you have to recommend it to the doctor or do you work underneath the dietitian to get these uh, multivitamins and supplements and double portions to the patients you serve? Oh, my dietitians kind of give me free reign on that part because um, they're going to agree with me most of the time. So um, 
uh, did I, I lost you for a second. <laughs> um, they will let me put in that recommendation. Typically I verbally tell them what I'm doing and they're like, yeah, I agree. That's exactly what I would do. But then I would put the recommendation into the doctor and the doctor would be like, okay, sure. That's perfect. That's good. That's nice that you're trusted and your work is valued where you are working at. So it sounds like sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Okay. We have, we'll have to get to that later. Um, but my other question, one more question for this population that you work with for the multivitamins, how do you ensure that they are getting those after they leave the hospital setting? Is there something that is implemented for that? Um, I think that the PCRM uh, makes sure that they're getting that. Um, most of my patients are going to a outpatient setting or intensive outpatient setting. So they're going to get that from there as well. Um, I'm, I hope that when they leave that setting, that those social workers and everybody will get them set up, you know, with the, you know, proper medication and vitamins as well. Um, I know that the people that I work with, um, are very passionate about what they do. So I'm hoping that, you know, everybody just kind of follows through with what our plan is in the end. That team is a team effort of, Right. Wow. So what does a day look like in, in, in the hospital for you? So I typically get into work at around like six, 6.30 on a good day, depending on my toddler. Um, and I have to like run reports. So I check to see if there is any suicide patients. If there are suicide patients, I have to put in a paper service meal for those patients. Um, I also run a report for supplements. So if somebody was ordered a supplement throughout the evening, I need to go ahead and put that in. And then I also need to screen that patient. Um, I also check for anybody who needs a meal selection, um, HS snacks. I'll, I'll go through all of that in a second. Um, I'm just going off of my, my mental checklist that I have on my desk. Um, we check to make sure um, new diet orders, new patients. Um, and that's pretty much what I do at first when I get in. And then we have, we follow um, the MST score at my job. So the MST is the malnutrition screening tool. So I look at people who are over, over, uh, over the age of 65. Um, BMI is less than 18.5. Yes, 18.5 or if their MST score is two or above. Um, I also look at their Braden score. Um, I have mentioned that I focus a lot on wounds. Um, and so I will look at a Braden score. Um, if it is 18 and below, I will, um, you know, screen that patient as well, because we found out that the MST score could, you know, bypass those wound patients if we don't look at those Braden scores. Which I also add um, the wound um, consult list to my my checklist, so I will look at the wound consult list to see um, if there's any patient on that list that we haven't seen, and that also um, will help us figure out all of those lovely wounds that are missed. 
um, because unfortunately where I work at, they will not consult us for wound patients. Wow, that's really strange because wounds are so related to nutrition. Absolutely. So I made it, you know, one of my my jobs during the day to make sure that wounds are um, seen by us. Eventually, we will get consulted for it. I I am determined. (laughs) (laughs) Just slowly working the way up. Um, So after, you know, I do my screening, then basically I, you know, look at the ages, so the 65-year-olds, the um, wound patients, um, anybody who's under 18.5 and an MST greater than two. Now that greater than two can be skeptical because it could be unsure of weight loss and poor um, PO intake, so poor um, appetite. Um, So I just screen them and I will find some um, that the uh, BMI is under because of alcoholism um, or opioid abuse. So I get that a lot where at the setting that I'm in or I get a 65 year old that's nothing wrong with them. So I go and screen them, appetite's good. You know, they're just, you know, overweight. You know, they're there for surgery or they had a heart attack. You know, can I give them some education? You know, it, it just depends. It sounds like you're doing so much like heavy nutrition stuff. It's so refreshing because usually when a DTR is in the clinical setting, they're still kind of attached to food service. But you're like in there, you're screening patients, you're screening, you're giving supplements and it's so refreshing. So I know I'm going to be asked, how did you find these jobs? Was there a job search? Was it just luck? How did you land? What was the search look like? What did the search look like for you? Um, I think I, I used Indeed for the job that I actually, both of them actually, um, I just went on Indeed and found them. Um, now I do deal with a little bit of food service at my job, but a lot less than um, the other hospital that um, I work with. Um, I work in like a smaller hospital, so I just kind of do meal selections and that's pretty much it. Um, but yeah, um, indeed is where I found the job. So do you have two clinical jobs? No, sorry. I, the way that I explained that. So I work for like a very large university hospital and, um, I work for a smaller hospital connected to the large one. Um, So I have less food um, service responsibilities. Granted, I have to make sure that I'm getting, you know, food service time, but most of my work is in clinical because I work for a team of three. So I'm the only diet tech and there's two dietitians. So when we're taking over this entire hospital. Oh, wow, wow. So that, Bring me to my next question. What are the restrictions or what's it like working alongside the dietitians at your job? So I have a wonderful team of dietitians. They're um, basically, they hate when I give them, no, never mind. I was gonna say they hate when I give them high risks um, because a lot of the times like I can give them somebody, you know, that has lost weight, but the same recommendation that I would give is the same one that they would give. So they're like, well, 
you know, I'm not going to give them a tube feed. So you can definitely have them because I do not do tube feeds in this position. Um, the tube feeds go straight to the dietitian. Um, same with wounds that are three and or stage three and four. So if I'm dealing with weight loss, I personally feel like I can deal with that. And they also agree that I can deal with that. Um, as long as a tube feed is not needed. Um, but I feel, I personally feel like they give me a lot of, you know, free way to do things. Um, but half the time, like I run it by them. They're like, yes, I agree. Wow, that sounds like a very um, good work environment where you're valued and appreciated for what you're doing. So we talked about your job jobs, but you also have a side, a side coaching, a coaching business. And so what made you decide to start that having such a fulfilling career and what you're already doing? So actually one of my um, clients was one of the biggest pusher of me starting um, the wellness coaching. Um, so I'm, I'm also a fitness instructor on the side for um, a group called Fit for Mom, um, something that I joined after I became a mother, obviously, um, just for like um, friendship as well as support. Um, as a mother, we all need support. Let me just tell you, we need friends. We need that love. <laughs> so I became a fitness instructor and one of my um, moms was like, hey, why don't you utilize what you, um, you know, do and be my personal coach. And I was like, uh, like, what do you need? And um, she's like, I just really need accountability and somebody to teach me what I need to do. And I was like, oh, uh, I can definitely do that. She didn't want the numbers game. She, did, she literally wanted somebody to push her in the right direction. I'm like, I can do that. So this all happened during the COVID shutdown. Um, even though my, I was still at work because um, I had didn't have, you know, I had to go to work every day still. And um, I just was like, let me do this. And after that, I had more clients that were like, well, so-and-so told me that you were doing this, like I'm interested in. So I was like, okay, let's do this. Like, I'm going to do this. My husband was like, okay, you know, let's, let's start the side business for you. He is a graphic designer. So he's the one who um, created my logo um, and kind of, he's been helping me with the marketing aspect of my job. He's got all these like cool tricks and stuff. He's like, let's uh, promote you on Facebook. And I'm like, um, how, how do we do that? Um, <laughs> I didn't know how to promote on Facebook, but you know, he, he showed me the ways and I, I, that's how I got the ball rolling. Um, it's only been about nine months um, since, you know, I got everything started. Um, I've had a handful of clients so far, um, just working from the bottom up. Wow, that's cool. Your name, I, I have to ask, your name is so fun, Beta Carotene. How did you come up with that? So um, when I was taking my test, one of the biggest things was I couldn't remember the different vitamins. <laughs> I know that sounds so funny, but Beta Carotene was the one that I kept always remembering. And I ended up like teaching um, 
you know, this to my son, like, you know, he's two years old, but I was like, you know, you got to make sure that you're eating your beta carotene. And for some reason that just kind of clicked. And I was like, let's go with beta carotene. <laughs> That's fun. That's a cute little <laughs> behind the name. So when, when this woman approached you and asked for wellness or accountability and helping her with nutrition, how did you figure out the pricing and know how much you charge and how did that all that process go? Um, a lot of research. So, um, went on Instagram, went on Facebook, kind of just started searching. Um, I will definitely say at the beginning, I undercharged myself um, because once I started looking at other um, diet techs and stuff like that and their pricing and what they were providing and what I'm providing, I was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really undercharging and undervaluing myself. So that's when I was like, oh, I, I can charge a little bit more, you know? So it took a lot of research. Okay, that makes sense. And then so for what you're offering, what did you decide? How did you decide what you're going to offer for these patients or what these patients needed? I'm still working on that. I did create uh, like an initial consult, which, you know, that's your discovery call, which is free. Um, if somebody just kind of wants like a wham bam thing of like just education, I did have somebody who was just like, I need help with what to eat because I have a child that is gluten intolerant. I have one that is allergic to soy. And like, I was like, whoa, you have so much going on in your household. So she wanted me to kind of help her, you know, navigate, making sure that she's getting the nutrients that she needs in her diet. Cause she's also breastfeeding. Um, so she didn't want accountability or anything. She just kind of wanted the straightforward education. So I gave her that. Um, but then the other moms want, um, you know, accountability. They want check-ins. Um, they want education every week. Uh, they want me to look at what they're eating and make recommendations, stuff like that. So I, de I either do the, um, the straightforward or I do a wellness package so far. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of work, <laughs> giving feedback on food, and that sounds like a lot. So I hope you're charging what you're worth for that. I am. I am definitely charging for my, you know, my work. Good. Good. Yeah, that's, that's so much, so much. So how, I know your husband kind of helped you with the marketing things, but what made you decide to, like, your website? How did probably designing your website and your Instagram? How, did, how was that all? And do you get clients from your website and Instagram, or is it more word of mouth? Um, it's definitely more word of mouth at this point. Um, I started with WordPress and I started uh, with that like quite a few years ago, starting on the blog. Um, but then I realized that WordPress is way too difficult for me. Um, so I ended up switching to Wix. Um, and my, I would say my blog went from more of postpartum to nutrition based. It started with me kind of um, expressing emotion with postpartum and postpartum depression, um, needing, you know, somewhere to vent. And then it kind of started going towards beta carotene um, and nutrition education. Basically, somebody reaches out to me wanting 
to learn a little bit more. So then, you know, I turn it into a blog post. Um, I forget what else you asked me. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was asking what made you decide to do sort of blog team from just your own personal passion and Instagram. Was there a reason behind Instagram? Or was that for this? Um, Instagram. Um, so somebody reached out to me. She um, is her um, Instagram is the biz school. And she um, is like a marketing, like brand person. Um, and she reached out to me and kind of gave me some advice on how to build my Instagram. Because um, at first my Instagram was like all over the place. Now I'm only posting about my family, nutrition and women's health. Whereas it used to be just a, a plethora of things. Um, so she helped me develop my brand, um, develop my colors and, you know, what my niche is. And then we went from there. Okay. So that was my next question. Your niche. It sounds like it kind of evolved, but what made you like stick to women's health and find that niche? Definitely. Um, with my own personal experiences with, um, postpartum, um, I definitely dealt with a lot of postpartum depression. Um, I've sought a lot of help since I had my child. Um, and it's just, I think that moms, women, we need the support. We need proper healthcare. Um, we're just, we need <laughs> we need love and we need as much support as we can get. Um, and because I developed such a passion for it, I figured, well, I know that if I need help, there's other moms out there that need help. There's other women that need help um, with, you know, trying to conceive or help after loss. Um, I just want to be that support system for somebody. Yeah. And I'm sure that bleeds through in your work, that passion that you kind of just expressing and talking. So I'm sure moms that work with you see that and you want to work with you because of that. So that's really cool. So you do a lot of stuff. You are doing nutrition, you're doing wounds, you're doing substance abuse, you're doing women's health, you're doing just counseling. That's with so many fields of nutrition. What do you do for finding research and staying up to date and making sure what you're doing is evidence-based because nutrition is constantly changing? Well, with my job, we do monthly CEUs, um, and it's usually a variety of things. Um, we don't just stick to one topic. I'm also an organ um, ambassador, which I listen to other spotlights, and it seems that a couple of us are organ um, ambassadors, so they give you the free webinars, um, and I am trying to get a couple certifications. So that will also, you know, keep me up to date on things. I'm currently going through um, a program, Strong Girl, I think it's called, to get my post or my pre and my post um, natal um, certification for um, fitness and nutrition. Um, I will send you the link so that I for sure on the name. <laughs> so, and I'm jumping on every free webinar that I can possibly get on. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cause you also said you're a fitness instructor, right? Yes. Wow. You're just, yeah. Even more than what I just, you said things in the world. I feel like I'm that. not that busy though. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You figured out how to balance it. That's, that's a miracle in and of itself. Cause it sounds like you're doing 
everything. So with this, you have such a unique perspective. So I want to ask um, what has been you know, frustrating or annoying about the DTL credential that you've experienced? Well, obviously the one was that um, the job position that I tried to go for, it required the bachelors when we, we have, they haven't even started that whole thing yet. Um, if, is it in 2022? The dietitians have to have masters, but I didn't hear anything about DTRs needing a bachelor's. Okay. See, I was under the assumption that, you know, we were getting moved to bachelor's. Anyways, um, so that one, um, that's pretty much the biggest thing. Um, over, and then I actually just had this situation last week. So on, we kind of, um, we rotate weekends. Um, and on a weekend that I work, I have to have a RD on call for any, you know, nutrition support. Well, um, last weekend I worked and um, the big hospital that I had mentioned, they were my on-call for the weekend, um, but apparently they didn't remember that they were my on-call. So I had reached out to them like, hey, um, I need you know assistance on this tube feed. Um, they're in the ICU, yada, yada, yada. And I didn't get a return from one of the dietitians, but then the other dietitian reached out to me. Well, later on in the week, apparently she um, was unaware that she needed to help me. And she addressed me as the diet tech over at East, didn't address me by my name, which, you know, to me was very upsetting because I'm like, you, you know, my name, you know who I am. Um, and it was just like, you know, she reached out to me for nutrition support and I didn't know that I was supposed to be doing that. Um, and I guess I was very upset, you know, that she couldn't even address me by my name. And I'm like, oh, you know, if I was a dietitian, maybe it would be different, but you know, I'm just the diet tech. <laughs> yeah. That's frustrating. And that's hopefully something that will hopefully change as more dietitians understand what a diet tech is and can respect what, what we do in the field because we do so much. Yeah. I mean, I would never get that experience from my two dietitians that I work with on a, um, like a daily basis. Um, I also had experienced, um, we were, we we're in the process of hiring, um, like, um, it's called an IRP position. So somebody who's, you know, here and there every once in a while. Um, and I had asked the dietitian, I said, have you ever worked with the diet tech? And she had told me, no, she's never worked at, with a diet tech and she would have to learn how to delegate jobs for me. And I looked at her and I'm like, why would you delegate jobs to me? <laughs> so, you know, I just sat there. Thankfully, you know, I have to wear a mask at my job so she couldn't see my emotions because I was just like, oh, you're not going to delegate jobs to me because I am equal to you. <laughs> that's fresh. And I think that's because I, I have a bachelor's degree. So I went through the, the training to become a dietitian and when you're in school for that, they teach you that DTR is under you and you're supposed to delegate so she came from that perspective, but then like, that's not the best way I don't think to teach what a DTR is. Cause really, yeah, like you're doing, you just can't do the two feeds, but you can do them if you're guided through them. So we really, right. the DTR should be talked about in a different way and not like as your assistant, like it's not really what Yeah. 
I guess just the way that she had worded it during an interview. It's like, mm. wait a second. Do you know everything that a DTR could do? <laughs> so that's interesting. Okay. And then, so I want to ask you one more question again, kind of talking about your experience with corrections and, and clinical. How has your experience been with diversity? You have diverse populations that you're working with um, and then just different people you're working with. So how has your experience in diversity been with the other dietetics? Any way you want to interpret that does not have to be something. I worked with a wide variety of um, people. So I would deal with um, people who were um, practicing Ramadan at, at, in the institutions or they weren't practicing Ramadan, but said that they did um, because they wanted the special food. I know that sounds so terrible, but they get better food during Ramadan. <laughs> um, let's see. I hope that you're editing this part. <laughs> yeah, we'll chop it up to make it, yeah. <laughs> so it's less so confusing. <laughs> um, dealing with, I mean, I dealt with so much diversity in my job with either the, um, the, the corrections officers, um, with the inmates, um, with the staff members. I mean, you just kind of had to roll with it, I guess. Yeah, that's great to have that, you know, being able to work with so many diverse people, positions, situations. I'm sure that makes We'll sense. say I, I've learned so much. I've learned so much about different cultures. Um, you know, I, I never, you know, you learn about Ramadan and stuff like that, um, but I didn't really know what that entailed. Um, also, um, like different holidays um, for like the hospital because they tried to follow through with different um, holidays as well. Um, but trying to cater to them, also learning yourself, you know, if somebody comes into the hospital and um, they, you know, don't eat pork, um, they don't eat red meat, you know, learning how, like what to provide for them, um, learning the different um, protein sources to provide for somebody or different recommendations. Um, yeah, it sounds like you've been working that diverse muscle a lot with all of the things that you mentioned. So, that's awesome, that's awesome that you've had that experience. So is there anything you want to add or touch on before we close out this interview? No, I mean, I want to thank you once again for listening to all of my things and having me on here um, and allowing me to talk about all the different things. I really didn't think that I had that much going on until, you know, I actually like let it all out. And I'm like, oh, there's there's a lot of things going there. Um, I would love for you guys to follow me on um, Instagram at uh, beta carotene. I'm sure that she'll tag me in this somewhere. Um, but yeah, feel free to ask me questions about um, the substance abuse, um, the wound care, um, women's health. You know, I, I love these subjects. Um, I love helping people. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Thank you for adding that contact information. And I do want to ask you one more thing. I know I keep asking you questions. No, you're fine. Any, any advice for um, PTRs who want to get into that clinical space and work at the level that you're working at the clinical PTR? So what I did was um, I got in 
I got my foot in the door while I was in school. So started from the bottom and now I'm here. <laughs> I literally was a new a student assistant. Then I went to a nutrition aid. Um, you know, I didn't think that I was ever going to get that diet tech position at my job, but I got it because I was, you know, I was working towards that goal. So setting my goals and working towards it. Love it. Okay. Thank you so much, Sammy. If you enjoyed this interview, make sure to give it a thumbs up. Go follow her beta carry team on Instagram. Comment down below any questions you have as well. And if I can answer them, I'll send you over to beta carry team. And thank you so much for watching. We'll see you in the next video.